Hello and welcome to the Woman Wine Podcast. My name is Kayla and I am your host. Thank you so much for joining me again today. After a brief hiatus from summer, I am very much looking forward to jumping right back in and have some great interviews lined up for you. So please stay tuned and subscribe. But today I have the pleasure of interviewing Rebecca Hopkins. Rebecca is currently the Vice President of Communications for Folio Family Wines. Uh, There she oversees the communications for over 20 family-owned wineries. On top of that, she's also the founder and CEO of A Balanced Glass, whose mission is to change the way we talk about health and wellness in the alcohol industry. It's creating a community and a resource for those who strive to find balance of wellness in an industry that's centered around drinking and good food. So a very important conversation to be had and more and more the industry is starting to wake up to. So it's a good thing that she's putting out there. Um, I was also really excited to talk to Rebecca because she's someone I have very much looked for looked up to in my career since we do actually work in very similar um, aspects of the wine industry. We both do public relations and she's just really been a big inspiration to me. She is a very outgoing, loving, kind, um, very inclusive person who just is very interested in everyone she talks to and I really admire that about her. She and I talk a lot about her move to the United States from Australia, how she got to where she is in her career, and of course talk a lot about wellness and starting a balanced glass, which I found really fun to dive into. And of course there's so much more, so I hope you enjoy this conversation. And if you'd like to find out more about Rebecca, you can visit her website at abalanceglass.com and there you should definitely sign up for her newsletter that comes out every Friday and as well you can follow her on Instagram and Facebook at abalanceglass. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Rebecca Hopkins. My guest today is Beck Hopkins. Thank you so much for being here. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks very much for your time. So I thought we'd start about uh, when you were in Australia, mm-hmm. and you grew up in Australia. You are Australian, mm-hmm. hence the accent. And you got into wine kind of in a different way. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So I grew up in South Australia, in the South, um, known predominantly for wine production, but I did not grow up in a wine family. We were not winemakers, we were not even wine drinkers. And I wanted to be a geologist uh, straight out of kind of high school, looking at university. And in Australia, natural resources are, are highly competitive in terms of study. So because of our healthy, at the time, mining industry, um, geology was kind of one of the prime jobs alongside medicine. And so I didn't have enough points to kind of get into my first choice. And so I ended up being accepted into Adelaide University in wine and in wine marketing. And so what that allowed me to do was kind of indulge my earth science, geek out, rock doctor love, but also be in an industry that I'd kind of seen around me, but I never really understood. And um, my plan was to study a year and then be able to transfer into another science-based, you know, kind of path. And 27 years later, I never kind of made it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I've ever told you, I actually studied at the University of Adelaide. Oh, you did? To study abroad program there. Yeah, It's such a beautiful place. And I always thought it was very California to me. Yeah. It was just funner accents, but very much to me the culture of California the beaches I mean they're actually a little prettier there but yeah it's very similar but you end up moving to California and not finding it quite as similar yeah so I kind of came up through the industry in Australia so studied wine marketing went through Roseworthy graduated ended up in a wine importing role actually as a marketing assistant while working in a winery as a kind of cellar hand tasting room then into um, a small producer of sparkling wine. I was the only full-time employee in this tiny, tiny winery. 
Then it down to Kunawara, population 400, no one around, you know, living um, really in the middle of nowhere. And then I joined Hardy's Wine Company, which is now Accolade, in uh, 2001. And then 2002, we had a joint venture with Constellation. They acquired us in 2003. And in 2006, I was kind of approached as to this new opportunity in San Francisco, working for Constellation. Actually, at the time, they were still in Monterey, down in Gonzales. Oh, wow. So the idea of moving from McLarenvale, living on the beach, to Gonzales. <laughs> yeah, that's a... Right? Yeah, agricultural community, it's very different. Yeah, and so in, in 2007, I got relocated, and by then, the CEO, Jose Fernandez, had set up the office um, in San Francisco, and, you know, that was kind of my landing plot. And, and sorry, for 2006 when you were working in Australia and you were mm-hmm. approached, were you in communications at that time? Yeah, so in marketing? 2006, kind of after the acquisition of us by Constellation, my role had started as a domestic public relations manager. So brand PR, events, communications. And by the time I was transferred, I was running um, communi- brand communications, corporate communications, direct-to-consumer, wine club. We had... 12, I think, restaurants at our wineries all around Australia, kind of plus working, obviously, within the Constellation fold. So, yeah, so I was kind of the global public relations director for Hardy Wine Company outward to the world. And so coming to the US was a complete backflip Mm -hmm. because we went from being, you know, the most visible in the biggest wine producer to not having staff I had an empty org chart I did not understand I'm on the other side of the road I'm eating food I've never um, really eaten before I don't understand a lot of the cultural nuance and just the work culture was was very different than Australia so it was a it was a rough start Mm -hmm. it was a rough start and I had two Australian friends who kind of picked me up from the airport on day one and uh, settled me in and, and helped me kind of wow. get started. That must have been really helpful to have. Yeah. I mean, just having people from your own country that have gone through the, you know, repatriation process and not in an official, you know, here's your reload person, mm-hmm. but friends who you could trust and they could give you kind of the shortcuts and, and just help me work out, like, what is social security? Mm. How yeah. do I get a credit card? Lot. Yeah. It's a lot to take so, in. Yeah. And I mean, if you were to give someone advice that was doing that today, yeah. moving to a whole new country, is there something you would say to them going into it? And Yeah, I, th- I think um, it is so beneficial for you to have either someone who's done what you're doing. You know, I think people can't really understand how difficult it is to move until they've done it. And if you have someone from your home country who has done it, it does make it easier. So listen to what they say and take, yes, of course, follow the kind of official corporate company line if that's how you're transferring, but also don't underestimate how much you'll probably miss your family and the routine, no matter how entrepreneurial you are, Um, because it's really in the quiet times that that's when you realize the things that you miss. Yeah. So if it wasn't such an easy start and mm-hmm. maybe not what the dream would have been, why did you stay? You know, the opportunity to work in the world's largest media market, the world's most complex wine market, in a place where you are the largest player in the room and so therefore with Constellation you have access to the best resource, the best research the most sophisticated business structure, you can't replace that kind of experience, no matter how hard it is. So for all of the interpersonal challenges, you know, that opportunity just doesn't come along that often. And I never wanted to go home having regretted that I hadn't done everything I could to explore what that potential could be. Mm. So... It, it didn't make for an easy kind of first few years, I would say. And even today, I still have cultural gaffes that I make because I just, there's some things I just don't have experience with. Mm-hmm. 
you know and so it's constantly learning and being aware of cultural nuance of um belief systems value systems ways of working and that you are also constantly being perceived a certain way mm. and a lot of that is not about who you are it's probably about a uh, a stereotype or a vision of a character that's been created you know fr by the culture that you've come from so not only do you have kind of that being a woman in, in an industry that is very male dominated yeah. but you also have a different culture yeah that kind of also is a different filter yeah something that people yeah. are perceiving you differently yeah um so yeah it must be interesting to kind of for you to even figure out which one they're trying to assess you as is it just the Australian or is it because you're a woman or exactly and I would say you know Australians and I think I can say this with good confidence we're pretty direct people mm -hmm. and so you can be misconstrued quite easily mm -hmm. and that's where kind of having that friend or that kind of confidant that can really help you understand like did I screw up what did I do you know was it if it wasn't intended but the outcome was a negative one, then, you know, how did we get there? And so my biggest lesson particularly within, you know, yes, you're a woman, yes, you're a vice president in a room of all men, you're a foreigner, you don't have 20 years experience sitting at the table in this country, in this context, or with these brands. How do you create credibility and authority without being perceived as you know obnoxious impossible difficult etc etc right um and what i mean what are the things that you've learned over the time like what are some of those pointers yeah i i think um listening as much as you possibly can and it's less about the words it's more about the intention mm. so if you are in a meeting room observing non non-verbal communication observing and understanding power plays and how they work and it's it's really the more comfortable you can be going into those environments the more empowered I would feel in being able to tackle whatever situation I was given so um, some of it was just complying with the social norm of how particular gatherings were going to go and knowing your role and how that role played there were times when you could be maybe more avant-garde and times when it was just not the place and learning that nuance really makes a difference so you know listening and understanding that but never losing your value of yourself and and why you've been brought here mm -hmm. you know a friend of mine would say you know you're not if i'm an opera singer no one wants to see me sing poorly right so you've been you're an expensive headcount and when you're an expensive headcount, there is an expectation to deliver and to perform. And so understanding that and having an awareness of the value that people put on you, but also not losing your own values, um, it's, you know, it's a really, if you can grasp that, you'll, you'll you know, be steps ahead, I think. Sounds like something that took a lot of practice, too. Just Lots of failure, tons yeah. of failure. And, you know, the occasional pulling aside and, hey, you know, this behavior wasn't okay or the way you spoke or the, the intention. And, and again, that's where you kind of have this close tribe that luckily I had some of those people within my work environment and I have them now in, in my current role because we are who we are. Mm -hmm. You know, at a certain level we can be put through or, or, or learn a particular way to be in business but at our core we are always who we are it's part of the beauty why we are successful you know and it's part of the beauty why we we surround ourselves with the people that have the same values as us yeah yeah because you don't want to kind of lose that no no you don't want to lose that who you what makes you unique what makes you who you are and what well, I think part of the beauty of the wine business is we have this incredible opportunity to mix earth science, creativity, and business, right? And so you can slot yourself, you can find your own kind of swim lane mm -hmm. depending on where you want to go. And if you're surrounded by the right people who want to help you get there, and I've always been very lucky in that. You know, I feel like 
I've had that ability to kind of switch and change and be chameleon-like to find what I love. Um, but there is so much scope and it's a global industry. Right. And we're not, touch wood, going out of fashion anytime soon because at the end of the day, we're connected to agricultural land and that gives us, I think, a very kind of grounded way that we look at our industry overall. Mm -hmm. So I think a little bit of that, um, being able to really be hyper aware of people and situations has probably really led to a lot of success in communications and public relations. Kind of having that skill set to be able to work in a room with a lot of different people and talk to a lot of different people. Uh, so why did you decide public relations or why did you stay with public relations? Is that something you've really enjoyed doing or? I love it. I think it found me. I, I never went out in search of being in this type of role. But then if I look back at all of the jobs I've ever had from you know teenage years, I've always been in a role that's been interpersonal, whether it was selling men's suiting, whether it was you know working at a sporting club canteen, I've always been engaged with people. Because I'm genuinely curious, like I wanna know stories. I really have a deep interest in humanity from just a, like tell me who you are and why you're here. And the industries, the wine business is full of that, right? Where they're full, everyone has a story and we can say that about every industry, but for us, there's a genuine curiosity I think you have to have to be in wine. And so communications to me, um, has just been part of who I am and I you know I grew up with a father that is hilariously funny and so we spend a lot of time just cracking jokes and being ridiculous and that attracts other people into your group and so all of a sudden you can find yourself in pretty diverse groups of people that you're interacting with um, my mum was always like the, the very kind of straight-laced one but <laughs> Um, yeah, comms is something that I love mainly because I, I, I really want to know what your story is and I want to know who I can tell that to. Um, so it's, I'm not, I don't even hold a degree in communications. I always laugh at that. It's like I'm actually not qualified to do what I do, but I kind of <laughs> love it anyway. <laughs> I was you're pretty qualified. <laughs> <laughs> well, what were some of the biggest takeaways of working for Constellation, such a kind of a big company that, you know, it's known for, I don't know, it's a training company. Yeah, yeah, I think discipline is one of the biggest things you learn, and that's in every aspect of what you do, whether it's discipline in developing strategy, discipline in, you know, consistently managing a certain way or sticking within the rules or um, not being afraid to push to, to develop and innovate um, that's one of the biggest takeaways and always be questioning why and not in a reckless manner but you know how can we be bigger better brighter faster and uh, how to work with a really diverse group of stakeholders I mean when you work at a company the size of Constellation you have experience from all over the world literally and all tenures and all cultures and so to do that as early as possible in your career, I think gives you an amazing platform to kind of then choose where you want to go. I'm glad I went into a company the size of even BRO Hardy in Australia at the time, because we were Australia's largest. And I was, you know, 23 and standing on a, a receiving pad for a way bridge on the first day of harvest with laborers striking mm -hmm. you know and so you have unions and which are very powerful in in Australia or here too but in rural Australia you've got workers you've got union you've got news cameras you've got CEOs and uh, and everything in between community and you know the local kind of gossip standing around making stories you have to learn that really fast and I think working in any big complex corporate organization helps you to do that as long as you don't lose your sense of self. Mm -hmm. um, it teaches you financial discipline. I mean, financials are something I don't think we learn enough about in the wine business. I don't think we focus on it enough. I don't think we prepare 
our new generations well enough to really comprehend the importance of pricing, of margin, of profit, of you know currency exchange. And I think that is something when you're you don't miss until you don't have it anymore. Um, and so that steep learning curve, particularly for me, because that was certainly a big part of Constellation here in the US was, was in early product development, you know, looking at a lot of those financials. It is something I wish we did more of as an industry. Hmm. Um, so. Yeah, it's something you hear very, it's like something that people keep behind closed doors. It's not talked about. Well, it's not sexy. Yeah. And, and <laughs> you know, we have an industry that a lot of people, you know, are, are attracted to. Um, because it is a heck of a lot more dynamic than, than others, but it's still a financial reality. We've still got to get those grapes picked in a sustainable, whatever that is for you, manner to get it processed, to get it in a bottle, get it shipped, get it on shelf, get it sold and get it reordered. Right. And if you don't learn that, you're, you know, you're not really understanding the full extent of, of the business. Mm-hmm. That is interesting because I would have thought actually at Constellation you would have been more siloed and not have to deal with those kind of things. So they would say, this is your lane. You stick in comp communications with you and we're going to do sales and pricing. Yeah, you do, of course, because you're, you know, you're also responsible for a P&L. You're also responsible to manage your agency budgets. And right. you know every year you're going in, if not four times a year on quarterly review, you're fighting for your budgets. So if you don't know what are the profitable brands, what are the market dynamics, what's going on as a category, if you have that knowledge, you are even more, um, you have more potential to secure the kind of budgets that you need from a spend point of view. Because let's be clear, communications is an expense line. It's not a revenue driver. Mm -hmm. And as much as we in comms think we add value, and we do, we don't have a tangible number. Very hard to show the ROI. Yeah, and so you're constantly in this stage of you've got to prove your value somehow else, mm -hmm. some some other way, I should say. So understanding the financials really helps you if you are working on a brand, aromatic dry white wines with you know a lot more margin than three-year-old barrel-age reds. If you understand the financials of how that all works and you're then going in to pitch why you need XYZ for ABC, it's, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's a good way. That's a good way to think I about used it. to make all my team read spreadsheets. They hated it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good experience, like you said. Yeah. You're I mean, a lot yeah. as you do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. I never want to be a CFO. I never want to be a finance accountant. There's certain people that are meant for those kind of jobs. That is not me. That's for sure. Mm -mm. So throughout your career, how have you been able to choose when it was time to change roles, when it was time to shift gears into a different company from Constellation. Did you go to Folio right after Constellation? Yeah, mm -hmm. and so I left Constellation in September and I was actually ready to go home to Australia. Oh, okay. I was done. I was kind of burnt out. I was done with the corporate way. I wasn't enjoying kind of what I'd come here to do. Um, and I just missed home. I missed culturally being back in a simpler way. And I interviewed actually um, with Michael Mandavi, who's the owner of Folio Fine Wine Partners, which is where I am now. And I interviewed him because I was fascinated to meet the man that I had written so much marketing material about at Constellation. So at Constellation, our team, we, you know, Robert Mandavi Winery was one of the big stars and still is at the at the company and so I just wanted to meet him in person without all the books and the you know the television mm -hmm. series and I didn't want to do the interview and then I, I met him and and he said to me you know what do you want why are you here clearly we can't pay you clearly you're overqualified clearly we're a small company and I said look I want to be back in the industry with my feet in the dirt I want to work for a family and I want to work for people who are in it for the long haul, not just for the quarterly earnings. And he clapped his hands and he's like, well, I'm your poster child. <laughs> <laughs> Which if you know Michael, it's a very Michael thing to say. And um, he said, you know, I think 
I think you can be really successful here. We just have to figure out, you know, how to make that happen. And um, he sang to me, it was my birthday, he sang me happy birthday and gave me a bottle of um, Villa Sandy Prosecco and sent me on my way. And uh, I think, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't at all a choice that I actively chose. It was something, again, that I wanted to be back with people who loved wine and I wanted to work with people who believed in it for the long haul and were connected to the land. Um, that was as close to home as I could get. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that he, uh, he, he's an incredibly gracious man. I, I, uh, so I worked with them until 2017. I, I left for an agency role, actually, um, with a fantastic big wine and spirits agency based out of New York. I'd be running their West Coast office. And interestingly, I realised that I missed a lot of the market dynamics, the distributor dynamics, the business, because when you're in agency, you know this, right? Yeah. You are constantly front-facing. You don't have access to profitability or market data. You're really relying on whoever your client account lead is to feed you that information. Mm -hmm. So if that information is not deep or not accurate or, you know, not timely, you're making decisions on, on things that, you know, are probably not the best to make so Michael had given me when I left folio he'd said to me there's an open door for six months if you ever want to come back the the place is yours I have tremendous respect for you yeah I uh I and I have amazing respect for him but I think it's more he he is a firm firm believer in developing people in the industry he really is and I'm not the only one he said it to it's Again, it's something that he believes if you are successful and he can find a way to make you more successful, he'll do it. And the bushfire, the bushfires, the fire, the wildfires happened. Um, and he asked me, and I met with him because I was freaking out because I couldn't, you know, I didn't know where he and his son Rob were in the family, were they okay? And, you know, I was in this other role, but my heart was always back with them. And, uh, I met with him for lunch and he's like, why don't you just come home? Like, come back. We miss you. And uh, it's, the, it's the only time in my career that I've gone back to a role. And it really, for me, I still believe, you know, it takes a lot of guts on both sides to try again, to, to kind of start from a new starting point and really... You know, clearly I didn't leave because I was 150% happy. You know, there were things that had come up for me over my time of working for them that were frustrating. And so, but we were able to kind of have that conversation before I came back in. And, you know, now we have a better working relationship. And, you know, I've had three mentors in my life and, and two of them have passed away and Michael was my third and so I never again I never wanted to miss the opportunity and say I didn't do what I could have done you know I didn't learn everything I could have learned mm -hmm. and um, he has a phenomenal philosophy on life he is a tremendous mentor to people all over the world um, he's funny he's curious and but he's incredibly respectful and, and um, graceful and so I think in our industry, we can have a lot of show ponies and people that, you know, maybe it's the drive of their motivation to be in the industry. Maybe it's they want to have a large property with, a, you know, beautiful buildings and beautiful vineyards. And, but is their heart really in it? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I'm happy to say, you know, there's not a day that I don't get something on my desk from him that's like an idea or a quip or a thank you or a, hey, I heard about this new thing called, you know, what do you think? And it keeps you on your toes. I mean, he's 75 and he works harder than you and I. Wow. Um, and you work hard. <laughs> I just show up. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. That's really inspiring. Yeah, it is. And I, you know, and, and our, I mean, our managing CEO is a gentleman called Paolo Badagazore. And Paolo is Italian. He's from Piemonte, and he's a very quiet, ordered, organized, humble man. He is operational, and 
but at his heart he wants to execute flawlessly and so we have this nice kind of dynamic between the kind of the ebullient exuberant Michael who he will remember your name even if he met you in 1983 and then you have you know Paolo as the quiet kind of executor plan a strategic mind so it's a it's a lovely combination mm -hmm. um, I can see how that'd be very successful yeah yeah and we're growing you know the business is growing and I'm doing things I never could have done at Constellation I'm meeting people I never would have met and so I'm glad I didn't kind of cut and run mm -hmm. when I when I could have many times right. you know and um, yeah I just every day it's like okay you know what what's gonna pop up <laughs> are you the type of person to have like a five-year plan three-year plan always in your mind in the back of your mind or are you do you kind of see yourself more as a person that goes with what's gonna happen and be in the moment yeah I like to think I don't need plans but I well, I would say in the last five years I've started it a lot more I mean I've always been financially relatively fiscally aware right um but career-wise but career-wise has been take the opportunity um, and that's always been engendered by my family, which is just go, like go, run, chase it, get it. Um, and a lot of that freedom comes from the fact you can always go home. And I've always had that in my, my work ethic. You know, I will work hard, I will run hard, I will do the best I can, but I can always go home. Probably gives you that sense of like, I can jump into this fully. Totally, yeah. Let me just yeah. give it my all. Yeah. I have mm -hmm. something to catch me in the back. It's yeah. just such a great feeling. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, even when you fall, because you do, because I do, you still have that ability that someone will be there to kind of pick you up and you either take a break and go away and rejuvenate or you kind of step back or yeah. take the night off or, you know, whatever you find need. The, yeah. Learn how to say no and do those things. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned mentors, which I want to go back to. Mm -hmm. um, I, you say so you have three mentors and so what are some of your other mentors that you've had and what kind of lessons have they given you I think one of my one of my very early career mentors was a woman called Pam Dunsford who she was the first female winemaker in Australia to be um, accepted to study wine science at Roseworthy in 1976 I think or five she uh, she was she was tough she was tough, she was resilient, she was tenacious, she was talented, but she taught me to never back down if what I thought I was doing was the right thing and to never compromise on the work that I did, which when you're 17 or 18, you're like, eh, I'm still learning, but she was uncompromising in everything. And I think that taught me early on to take what I was doing seriously and gave me guardrails that I probably wouldn't have necessarily given myself. Um, you know, if I think about Hardy's times, I had a boss who was a, one of the most charming, gentlemanly, uh, gentle fellows who, who knew how to navigate the stock exchange business side of our business. So we were publicly listed, so we were obviously doing a lot of investor calls and... Uh, share price changing and things like that and uh, he always handled that with incredible grace no matter what was going on and there was never a day that you really had to stay even later you know he'd come by and turn my lights off in my office while I was still in there and be like go home you need to get a life and so Jim Jim Humphreys is his name um, and so he really taught me the power of you know, you can say no it's going to be okay you're not curing any incurable disease and it's the wine business um, but then I have my my friend, very dear friend Michelle Williams. Her daughter Zoe's nine, you know, and and Zoe is a great mentor for me because she's like, she doesn't care what I do, she doesn't care what's going on. She's more interested in what can we create, where can we go, what can we do, where can we play, mm -hmm. right? Humbling, yeah, you down to earth. yeah, and just it invites play, and I think particularly in this culture here, we don't have enough of it. We don't have that play of like unstructured creative space mm -hmm. that 
enables us in a different way to kind of refresh from, yeah, you can absolutely work 100 hours a week if that's what you want to do, but if you have no play or levity in that. I feel like you almost need permission to do that because then you would feel guilty if you are, right? right? Like, what? oh, I'm taking time off for this or taking time right. off for that. And um, to, yeah, to have that permission yeah. is really hard. Yeah, and the beauty is, I mean, I don't have children, but to learn from kids and that just the spontaneity and the presence that they have, i.e. they're in the moment, I think is something that if we learn that, the more we learn that, we give ourselves permission to be more like that. Mm -hmm. And that by osmosis somehow gives other people permission to be themselves as well. And I, I'm always fascinated by if I work in a close environment with, you know, my teams over the years, the more that you can be in your own space and be your authentic self, the amazing treasures that come out of them because you're not in this kind of jostling, I'll be this way because you look that way. And, you know, I used to say to my team that I frown when I think. So if I look really angry, I'm not but this is just literally my physiology <laughs> has me this way. And so I don't want you to be intimidated, but just know, you know, I'm just as conscious as you are. Mm -hmm. And that's a vulnerable space that you don't always get to, mm -hmm. right? Going back to that self-awareness that you learned coming to the U.S., yeah. I mean, that's, such a, that's a really good key thing to communicate to people. Yeah. and. Mm -hmm. all those yeah social cues like you were talking about mm -hmm. and how you get perceived without even knowing but someone yeah. did think you were in a bad mood just because you had that yeah. Yeah. I swear a lot less than I used to <laughs> <laughs> my mother would how be very happy with that <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, well think going back to kind of play yeah and I think of this as play a little bit because for me it's something that's fun but it's not always fun for everyone else it's kind of prioritizing wellness yeah and that's something that you've been uh, advocate for, advocate for the last couple of years mm -hmm. and just really kind of wanting to open that conversation up and it's a conversation that I don't think is talked about enough in the wine industry because we are in an industry that there's a lot of alcohol there's a lot mm -hmm. of food there's a lot of travel there's a lot of things that happen that you can get carried away with pretty easily right and it's kind of the dark side it's not yeah. the sexy side it's nope. not the fun side to talk about um, and I just really admire that you are bringing that to light. And um, so I would love to kind of hear, how did you get inspired to talk about that first off? Yeah, I um, and thank you, because I like this stuff really like gets me going. So this might take a while, but um, <laughs> it's great. You know, you time. <laughs> I think I, I've been in this industry a reasonable amount of time, but we don't have an industry that's really built for longevity by nature. I think that we are, to your point, we are in a very unique position where every single moment of every day, a good percentage of us are faced with alcohol and food or opportunity for both in pretty consistent manner and at a pretty high frequency and volume. You don't see that kind of pressure in a lot of other industries that I can think of. And so being in Bev Alcohol, it's a tough environment if you're not self-aware. And I don't, I've always had a pretty good um, relationship to health. Um, I grew up in a very healthy family. We were always outdoors playing sport, very common in Australia. And when I moved to the US, I actually started a, a yoga practice with a couple of really strict teachers. And I didn't come in on the kind of lavender and rainbow side, I came more from breath work, alignment, meditation, and again, it, was, it wasn't fabulously fun every time I went, but I certainly learned an enormous amount and grew. And the more that I did that, the more, particularly in mindfulness and in meditation, I became more aware of my behavior and the behavior of others in our space. And it takes a lot of awareness to really moderate for us as professionals in the industry because you know if you're in a sales promotional role like you and I are chefs want to show their food winemakers want to show you their wines 
you know, and you want to taste and experience and be part of this amazing global industry that we're in. And mind you, we have these extraordinary places to visit that are really beautiful. And so I, w I would watch uh, kind of people go through these waves, right? And we used to laugh, it was like the freshman 15 people come into the industry and then they kind of eat and drink their way in and then three years later they go oh my god how'd I get here and it was never about like starting a balanced glass was never about demonizing any of it it was never about judgment it was never about saying I think we should all moderate and drink less I think the biggest challenge we have is we don't have access to information of the industry we work in so we have incredible information on the grape varieties and the regions and the soils and the additives and the right the market dynamics but if you're a newcomer into the industry how do you know how to behave how do you know what's socially acceptable how do you know what's expected of you and unless you're in a very I believe culturally advanced company you're not learning that and so part of what I saw is we've got to start if we want people to come into this industry for the long haul we have to start arming them with information to make decisions for themselves and then there is the reality right the life stuff that I'm getting on another plane I'm flying another 15 hours it's hard on your body it's hard on you physically it's hard on you mentally it's hard on your adrenals your cortisol every physiology physiological part of you changes when you travel time zones etc and then you add on to that the frequency of eating and drinking and that is a very high pressure environment for us to be in and it's not like being a chef people say well you know it's just another version of you know the the chef hospitality issue but it's not because we're not in a kitchen 9 10 12 hours a day slaving away in these adrenaline filled environments our challenges are all day from maybe 9 a.m. until midnight constantly and it's a different kind of dance and the empowerment of it can always not feel like it's that empowering which is when things like mindfulness and meditation and taking breaks and looking after ourselves or self-care gets really important um, and so I didn't see a lot of that either. I mean, we obviously see a lot more now because of the social conscience that's really starting to change. I mean, when CNN and the Today Show are really, and mommy blogs are talking about these issues that we have, we got to, you know, we have it, we're right on the tipping point. Um, and then I think the third part of it is the behavior modeling part. The, the we are young and we're in an industry and we're looking up to people that maybe don't have the best behavior. Sometimes it's not always. Um, intentional maybe they don't have the tools they never learned how to manage their environments um, sometimes there are different priorities right if your priority is hit the number get the account you're in sales you're in midtown Manhattan and that's your job wellness is just laughable um, in on a balanced glass I wrote a story called welcome to the jungle the reality of selling wine in Manhattan because it really is a different place mm -hmm. you know to and I'm doing a follow-up one on on LA and then one in Florida because we live in this amazing country of diversity in styles of how wine gets to market but to be that person relentlessly on the street every day dragging those 30 pound 40 pound bags up three flights of stairs on a walk up or you know it's the weight and the physicality of our industry too if you're not modeling if you're not seeing behavior around you that's healthy you can easily I mean shoulders hips knees ankles all of that you know can can hit the dirt um, and so part of it was like and I want to get this stuff out of my brain that I've kind of learned that I've failed on that I've done too much of you know that I watched yeah yeah and supplements and recovery ways and jet lag hacks and you know in-flight habits so and the beautiful thing is again it's always from non-judgment and it's the whole environment all I ask of anyone who's in our community is be respectful and don't judge you know so there's no room for derogatory behavior there's no room for judgment because we all are individuals 
we have to manage our lives the way we do. But we all have ways we've learned it, so let's let's share it. Um, and it's people are enjoying it. You know, it's it's comforting when people write and they say, "Hey, I loved." the story on travel hacks or oh my goodness I tried that breathing technique in the presentation and my nerves you know mm. went away or hey I do live alone and I do drink alone and your story about that just helped me drink a little less and then you know the dark side of it is this you know the the reality that not everyone who's in our industry should be in our industry mm. and that's that's where the really sticky parts come because I'm not a qualified health professional, mental or physical. Um, my objective is to connect you to those people if you need them, but at some point the community can only support you so far. But we're never about isolating people. I don't believe in that. I think um, maybe it's growing up in a country with no one around me, but... It's, it's something that I think is really critical to our industry is we are a community. You see people that you've met all over the world, all over the world. You met them in Italy, you see them in New York. You know, you visited Australia, they come to Seattle. Rows and crowds. Exactly. And that you, you create, that community that you create, I think is what keeps us afloat when we slip, when we fall, when we screw up um and kathy who co-writes with me that you've met um she's incredible because she is a qualified meditation teacher she is a qualified yoga teacher she takes this really seriously i mean she's a journalism on wine issues journalist on wine issues but she also has this really deep practice and when we met we bonded immediately over meditation and asana and the seven you know the the kind of seven different breath techniques and the eight limbs of yoga and this whole different world. And what I love is when people meet other people in the community and that happens. They go, oh, Keeler, I didn't realize that you were an ultra marathon runner or, yeah. you know, hey, Cardi turned up at a yoga practice at 7 a.m. at the base of Aspen Mountain. I love that. Yeah. Like, I really love that. Brings people together, yeah. You know? Yeah. And... And it doesn't matter if you're not wearing fancy pants or, you know, you don't have an answer to everything because I think none of us really do. It's new space. And right now we're in a really unique position because all of a sudden our industry is under a spotlight from a whole social um, observation that didn't exist five years ago alcohol consumption uh, alcohol, is kind of what you're talking about yeah right? alcohol like consumption and alcohol in the social conscience so it's social issues it's impact economically it's you know workplace wellness which is such this buzzword mm -hmm. the easiest thing to do is to get rid of anything that stimulates your your staff right removing alcohol from holiday parties you know things like that right. that we as an industry we've kind of dare I say we've brought the party mm -hmm. right and so I think wine's unique position within that kind of bev alcohol space of spirits and beer is that we have to get back to being connected to culture we have to be back and connected to the dining table to the gatherings to the enjoyment and the the agricultural foundation of of what, you know, how we got here. I love that. Um, one of the things that really got me into wine that I always loved is to me it is one of the most mindful drinks. So you sit there and you're thinking to yourself, okay, what do I see? What do I smell? What do, where does this come from? What, what makes this unique? What's the story? And it's that moment where you're kind of talking and discussing and thinking about what you're drinking to me is a ton of mindfulness. And that's what I, something I always loved about it. Um, yeah, absolutely. So it's just finding that right balance because everyone approaches it very differently yeah and uh, and mindfulness to your absolute point the ability to focus just on that one thing you know like Kevin Zarelli when he would do his 30 seconds to taste and there is just this the, the beauty in the way that we educate on tasting as an industry is that we force ourselves to really focus mm -hmm. and that has you know very obvious neurological impacts um, that have been written about 
time and again. And it's it's part of the beauty that brings you back. And the other thing is no two years are ever the same. So even what you learned and you nailed a year ago. Constantly learning. Right? Constantly. And then you realize you know nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you start yeah, again. Something new happens. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Mm-hmm. So I just want to quickly kind of talk about, which sometimes can not be a quick topic, but the topic of balance is something that I find really fascinating and mm-hmm. how everyone approaches balance differently mm-hmm. and what balance means to everybody. Mm-hmm. And so you've kind of touched on this so many ways in work-life balance. Mm-hmm wellness balance mm-hmm. um, and so forth. What have you learned along the way about balance and what does it mean to you? Do you believe in a balanced life or do you believe that you know there's no such thing and you just do what you do? Um, I'm curious to get your point of view. Yeah, so I, I kind of take the question two ways. Balance is, is a concept that you're constantly in motion to find a center point. And so there is no such thing as the one way, the perfect way. And part of the reason why I called it a balanced glass is like a moment in time, an approach, one experience. So it's not to say this is it. Um, And balance, what I've learned is, goodness me, it's such a broad concept. It's balance of, you know, gender, culture, ethnicity as a professional. It's It's balance of voices. It's a balance of, you know, how do you have a balanced workforce? whether that's a sustainable workforce, a workforce that can afford to live where they're working. You know, all of that, there's this ecosystem that exists. And the concept gives me a lot of grace to forgive myself when I'm completely out of balance. And some days that pendulum swings way one way and I'm great and I'm eating kichari and I'm meditating and I'm going to yoga and then the other way I get home from two weeks on the road and I'm bloated and unhappy and my digestion's a mess and I wonder kind of what I'm doing so I think a big part of the balance part is is giving yourself the forgiveness to know you're always going to be in motion something's always going to change there will be times when you will be working more than you probably is healthy to be doing so then how do you find that space to offset that for another you know, for another time or to, to kind of reset that pendulum. Mm-hmm. Um, but balance is different for every person. You know, if I talk to my mum, oh, my God, my mum's idea of balance is, you know, making sure the teapot's ready at, you know, 8.05 for her morning pot of tea because that's how my mum gets balanced. Mm-hmm. She doesn't start her day without that. And ritual is a big part, right? I think ritual, well, particularly for me, ritual is a big part of maintaining balance. And ritual can also come from discipline. Mm -hmm. So if your ritual is to get up and get on your yoga mat and do five minutes in the morning or, you know, to prepare your morning routine in a certain way, that ritual helps to kind of reach that end goal. And when you don't do it, I think that's when you notice it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, getting back to your routine, your rituals have kind of helped you along the way yeah I mean what's your I'm interested what is your perception of balance I mean um, I think I love the idea that nobody has it all perfectly and nobody nobody has one way to do it and so I I just kind of like to talk about that more because I think everyone thinks that somebody has this way like they just seem so put together and their lives seem so easy and it flows just so easily and I like to kind of just call to the fact that not everyone has it perfectly together. And uh, not at every time of the day is everything going really well. Like, the just things move. And I really like the idea of it's just it's constant and it's in always in motion and it's always going to change. And uh, just kind of talking about that more so that yeah. more people don't feel as alone when they're right. on the lower end of those things, they, those days. And to be okay with it not being constantly perfect and that's a big that's a lesson I'm learning yeah social and (laughs) that manifests in huge social anxiety absolutely you know or I get a lot of um validation from when things are going perfect like Mm. I I feel very good about myself Mm. when things are flowing and going Mm -hmm. well and so kind of having that low self-confidence when things aren't going well Mm -hmm. how do I find that equilibrium Mm -hmm. and not just seek validation from those moments when you're on the top of things right 
So, yeah, it's an interesting thing. I think you're just constantly learning and changing. And and, and having, again, like having that compassion for yourself when you're in that space when you just don't know. Um, and that is something to learn because we're now in a society where everything's within a device, right? You Google it, you ways it, you, you mm-hmm. find the way. And mm-hmm. so not knowing is kind of this social weakness. But the reality is it's one of the beautiful places to be because that's if you quieten whatever the heck is in your head long enough, you can start to listen to what's going on in your heart and in your being and kind of start to peel away a lot of those layers that have probably unconsciously kind of started to surround you. And having that, that awareness and that courage to be like, you know what, I don't know. I don't know is uh, it, it heartens me when people say it but I don't think it's well received in an in a environment where we kind of you have to know what's going on yeah a business environment success yeah when even in our families right like where are you gonna be what are you gonna be doing and what's going on in your dating life or your and it's just like oh my god I don't know <laughs> right I don't, I don't have the answer for it all. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's a section on the website that we've just got to start to yeah. kick in. <laughs> don't know section. Don't know. Still figuring this out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are, we're working on some um, really fun kind of programs around what the community wants. How do we gather in these small intimate spaces that allow people to really explore these more sensitive topics because there are things that you don't want to put up online for kind of everyone to comment on you know there's a huge space I believe there's a huge role for the space of intimacy in gathering that should be off the record that shouldn't have devices that should be just going back to that kind of tribal gathering that's just you know unguarded yeah say what you want to say and not feel like you have to be a certain way right absolutely right so yeah keep an eye out yeah (laughs) what else are you uh, kind of looking forward to with a balanced glass I mean is this another one that you're just going to see where it goes or is there something you know I think it's um it's a push-pull constantly it's the story Kathy and I joke joke about this all the time the stories you think are going to take flight people don't respond to Hmm. and the stories you think are like the stuff you filed at the last minute because you ran out of something to say really catch and so the future is it's push-pull it's we want to hear from the community because that's the role of this environment is to build things but also to mold it in a way that keeps its values that you know we it can be what it was intended to be and um can help us all navigate this crazy space we work in the interesting thing is the more that our community is gaining um, awareness other industries are kind of looking like friends of mine in the entertainment business are like oh my god we need something like this because they face similar environments you know another friend in the legal profession she's like oh my goodness if you knew what lawyers got up to so it's not just limited to our kind of wine hospitality food industry there are other industries looking at how we are behaving or managing or to to kind of look for advice because we're ground zero to pardon the kind of the metaphor but we are really in it and we're in the best place possible to help drive that behavioral change and the cultural change that you know, will come as a result. Hmm. And I always think the wine industry is behind on everything. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, part of that's obviously due in the US to, you know, the 3-2 system we work in and the the way that our industry is set up. Um, I had this exact conversation with someone this morning um, who's in a different country. Just, you know, we really do work in 52 different countries. Right. You know? A lot of, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think what California maybe 
does in, in wellness is not so much in New York or other places too. So kind of like what you're saying about different jungles and different places. Yeah. And yeah, it's all very different. Yeah, you can you can buy an eighteen dollar oat milk latte in California <laughs> on Venice Beach if you want one, and you can pay someone thirty five dollars to go run and jump and move and right <laughs> and enjoy it, which is exactly. crazy. Exactly, and they take all your money, and that's not something people yeah. do in other places. So yeah, it's one of my favorite things to do. Is like if I'm in Louisiana or I'm in Florida, and just to listen and watch and see what what people in different parts of the country and and that's why it's amazing too to have someone like Kathy who's in Atlanta which is a very different demographic and then you know members of the tribe in New York or um, you know, Alaska and London and you know southern Australia the the guy I'm profiling tomorrow is in Margaret River Australia like beautiful beautiful part of the world but you know, part of his problem is he's in his head because there's no one around. Yeah. He's in the third least populated wine region in the world. And he needs a tribe. Yeah. He needs a community. Yeah. 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 So. Ooh. Well, that's the great thing about technology. It brings people together. Yeah. That's for sure. Exactly. So my last quick question. So what are the ways that you practice wellness? What does that mean to you? I know I've heard you say meditation and yoga. Are those kind of your biggest ways that you... Um, I'm really disciplined in how I sleep. I think that is something I've really had to learn and now I love um, no digital before 6.30 in the morning nothing after 10.30 at night if I can avoid it just switch it off and um, because in, in the role that I do and, and we are both in the same industry and media you could work 24-7 and still be behind and working for an importer I'm always at least three hours behind everything because we're California. And so sleep and rest are hyper important for me. And hydration is my other big thing, like as much water as I can, you know, reasonably manage. And having, um, I've had a Chinese doctor, a traditional Chinese medicine doctor for 20 years to help me with digestion, um, liver health, lungs, um, general kind of disposition, which reduces my need to be in the kind of Western medical system. And that for me, because I, I just, I identify so much with the Eastern philosophy of health in terms of it being a holistic need. Um, it's not just your blood pressure or your, you know, your um, body weight. And those things are kind of my non-negotiables. If I travel, I come home, I go and see Dr. Yang. I get pinned, I get, I get on the acupuncture table, I get pinned. If I'm sick, I take Chinese herbs. If, you know, he'll, and he's such a, a gift in that he helps me stay well. And, uh, and just sleeping well is the big difference. I... I have no comprehension of what it would be like to be a mother with a young newborn, that sleep deprivation alone, along with everything else, of course, that, that is the challenge. But I just have so much admiration for people that can just get up and function, you know, on such interrupted, you know, body function. Um, and I would say certainly what I've learned of late in the last five years is being very aware of reducing, um, watching what I eat and drink, of course, but not consuming late of anything. So after 10 p.m., I don't consume late. I'm not out, you know, I used to love drinking spirits late at night, but I just don't do that anymore because it interrupts sleep, mm -hmm. right? I don't need all that sugar in my system. It's less about the effect of the sugar, which of course disrupts sleep, but it's more about then I'm just going to lie awake until two in the morning and then I'll be miserable. The domino effect. Exactly. Of everything. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and it is interesting when you watch, you know, I travel a ton and to see people on planes drinking heavily or eating highly processed food or, you know, finding ways to distract themselves from the boredom of being in a flying sardine can, mm -hmm. um, my in-flight ritual is pretty strict as well. And that, because of the amount I travel... I really work hard to make sure my sleep is as managed as possible. My jet lag is as manageable. 
um, because I know how much I suffer if I don't do that. It's just learned over 20 years of traveling. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're my big ones. And uh, ritual-wise, it's probably starting every morning with tea, black tea and milk. It's, I think it's my mother and my grandmother. We, that was kind of when we convened and gathered as pots of tea in the morning. Um, but yeah, having an early morning ritual is yeah. is pretty pretty critical. Grounding. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really You're appreciate very welcome. it. So, anyone that's listening right now, where could they find out more about a balanced glass? Sure, they can go to the website abalancedglass.com. They can follow a balanced glass on Instagram and Twitter, the same handle abalancedglass.com. And if they'd like to join the Facebook group, uh, it's not—it's a group, not a page. It's a balanced glass. So pretty simple. Yep, pretty easy um, to remember. <laughs> and yeah, you can find me um, on Instagram and Twitter as Beck Hopkins Wine, B-E-C-K. So I'm ranting on about all sorts of things all the time. <laughs> Fun to watch, <laughs> learn from, and yeah, it's a very fun life you live. Yeah, yeah. It's and I I think you know for the work that you're doing and bringing voices of the community in a space that is so overdue um, is amazing. And so I I wanna see you keep doing this. I wanna see it. I will hold you accountable. I will be texting you when I'm like, I haven't seen anything (laughs) from you. I do this with a friend of mine in New Zealand. Yeah, and um, because we all need someone to hold us accountable. We're not, it's- It's It's easy to get busy. Yeah. and. We're designed to commune. That's what we are as humans, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking it. forward to seeing it grow <laughs> like hot lakes. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, thanks again. For more information about Woman & Wine Podcast, visit our website at womanandwinepodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at womanandwinepodcast.